0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk specifically uh, about uh, how the kingdom of God actually works. What What uh, is its structure? What is the way? People think the kingdom of God is where you go when you die. And that's just not what Jesus said. Jesus said the kingdom of God is for the living. It was at hand. He says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you to the Pharisees who were running the kingdom of God on earth at that time. And he was going to give it to another group who were going to bear fruit. Because whatever the Pharisees were doing, the Pharisees and the political parties that were in power at that particular time in Judea, which was the kingdom of God on earth, I mean, the citizens considered themselves to be all children of God. He said those those uh, uh, people were going to have the kingdom taken away from them. And it was going to be given to another group that would bear this fruit. And, of course, we see him appointing the kingdom to his apostles. His apostles getting together with at least 120 other in the upper room. And then getting together with thousands and thousands of Jews who accepted Jesus Christ as the Christ, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed, the king, the highest son of David. Then they began to work daily in the temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, spreading the word of how the kingdom works from house to house. And they actually formed a network of Christians, followers of Christ. That's what Christians were. They weren't called Christians until later. They were still called Jews at that time. When the Christian Jews who were in Rome were evicted from Rome because they were doing something different than all the other Jews. There's about 14,000 families that were evicted from Rome under Claudius. They had a place to go because they had formed this network. And they knew about this network because they knew how the government of God worked. Even Jesus, when he was going to give away his free bread and um, fish, which he only had about seven or so, and he, he instead of him eating, he blessed it and gave it to others, which is a a symbol of charity. Just like Alexander the Great, he wouldn't drink the water that they brought for him until everybody drank first. But before Jesus was to distribute these few loaves and fishes, he told everybody to sit down in groups of 50. Well where where did that number fifty come from? Why fifty? Well, everybody knew it. this was probably tabernacles. This is why they were out in the country. They're all camping out, listening to Jesus way out there in the wilderness. And he tells them to sit down in groups of 50. Just get them all organized in groups of 50. How do you do that? Well, you get to gather an organization of 10. And then five groups of 10 is 50. So you end up with 10 50s, hundreds, and thousands. So, Jesus required that they get organized, self-organized, in these groups of tens and fifties, before He was to take what was to feed Him and give it away to them. And next thing you know, they got enough for everybody. That's the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's the mechanics of it. The spirit of it has to do with sacrificing what you have for the welfare of others. Don't expect in any way, shape or form that anybody should sacrifice for you you know like send you thirty bucks or send you a hundred thousand bucks until you're sacrificing for others because that's the way that's the way the kingdom works and people who say, well, why should I give to them?' Well, you don't have forgiveness in your heart. You don't have love in your heart. You don't have Christ in your heart. If you're even asking that question. With a certain spirit, anyway. He might ask that question. It's just a word question. But, what's the spirit that's moving you? Today is, uh, I don't know, was it the day after the inauguration or whatever? And, uh, of the President Trump. So you can figure out what day this is, if you hear this in a recording much later. And the news is full of pictures of the inauguration. It's also full of pictures of people rioting in the streets. Now, I don't know any of these people that are rioting personally. Uh, I know people who know people that are rioting in the streets. I know people who know people who are demonstrating in the streets against Trump. Because I do know a few people who actually voted for Trump, or know people who voted for, I mean, excuse me, voted for someone other than Trump, like Hillary, I guess. Um, And uh, I myself don't believe that Donald Trump is your salvation. I don't think he's going to save you or America or anybody else. Maybe a nice guy may have good intentions. Saul was a nice guy. The problem in America isn't who is president, although there may be some evidence as to who we are by who we elect. But the problem is the spirit that is moving in the people. And what you're seeing out there, and I just sent a note off to the network. Everybody should be a member of the network. Uh, Everybody should be a member of the living network, which is different than the email networks. But I just sent a message out on that email network, um, uh, that, uh, was talking about, uh, Christ, I'm not even sure how to say it, Kristallinat, which is, uh, the Night of the Broken Glass, or Crystal Night, they called it, uh, and it was an event where the Nazis went out, the brown shirts went out and began to break windows, protesting Jews. And, of course, they blamed everything on the Jews, uh, which was, you know, the banking people. You know, it is true that a lot of the banking people in Germany were Jewish. But they were, you know, they don't get to their windows, so they go out and break the windows of people, you know, with little restaurants and bookstores and what have you. I mean, there was a a bank that had windows shattered in this demonstration in Washington, D.C., and there was a Starbucks that had windows shattered. Well, Starbucks supported the other candidate. <laughs> I don't think Starbucks supported Trump, at least from my memory. Uh, I don't know who the bank was. I think it was Bank America or something. But anyway, they're breaking glass they're what they're doing is you know they're tipping over garbage cans and they're punching people and they're they're just demonstrating uh violently, which is called rioting, not really demonstrating. And what you're seeing is the spirit of the Nazis, the, the brown shirts, who were socialists, democratic socialists. And, and so, how does that spirit come about in us? Because this is, I, I can't save the world, you know, the, the world is headed for its own destination. But, and I can't even really save you, but you can find salvation if you look into your own heart and make room for Christ. And what has gotten into the heart of the socialist, the person who thinks that uh, you know, rich people should give up money, Somebody, some young girl was on the news and she had three things that in her organization. They wanted all student loans canceled and paid for by the government. And they wanted uh, on all uh, jobs on student campuses, uh, the menial jobs even, all to a minimum of $15 an hour. And uh there was something else they wanted, I can't remember what it was. Uh oh I guess eventually all college would be free. Uh everybody who wanted to go to college, uh which is a little crazy, I would assume they mean everybody who can keep up the grades and go to college, <laughs> you know, pass the test gets to go to college for free. And uh, these are her three demands of her organization. Well, the guy asked her, well, who's paying for this? And she says, well, 1% of the wealth in America is in the hands, or, 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 or half of the wealth in America is in the hands of 1% of the, the the elite. And they can pay for it. Well, the reality is, is that if you took all the wealth, 100% tax on the top 1%, you couldn't even support the welfare programs of the United States. You know, and I hear people talking about why does America rate uh, so many children in poverty in America more than any other country? We have a higher rate of poverty in America for children in poverty than we have in countries all over the world. We we rank one of the highest for children in poverty. Well, it's very simple. What we call poverty in America is wealthy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> most of these other countries, these these kids in poverty in America aren't in poverty in relationship to the rest of the world. They may be in poverty in relationship to what we have in America. Uh, I heard a statistic the other day that so far in food stamps, uh, and I don't know if this is a yearly figure. I can't hardly believe this is a yearly figure, but who knows. Uh, but it uh, comes from a guy uh, named Wolf. Who's usually pretty accurate in his research, but it was $8.5 billion in food stamps has been spent on soda. (laughs) Uh, Soda pop, you know, soft drinks. Uh, Soda pop for you people in Minnesota and Wisconsin. I don't know what everybody else calls them, but that's incredible. That's incredible. Uh I don't drink that kind of soda. <laughs> I mean I might have uh a pop once in a great while. But uh very uncommon, usually a ginger ale or something like that. But uh and actually we make our own ginger ale sometimes. Uh my daughter does anyway, and if she does I get a little bit of it. <laughs> so but uh uh we make it ourselves. And I, I guess we're poorer than the poor. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Uh, in, in the United States, there really hardly is any really poor people by world standards. You know, by the really impoverished country standards, we're doing really good. But, what is the answer? And I heard somebody else talking, being interviewed this morning... And they were talking about how Trump is going back the other way because a lot of these people are talking about not so many giveaway programs. But how did we take care of the poor before all of America? I mean, I mean, all of America went down the socialist road because we're all down that road now. It isn't socialists on the. You know, Democratic side with people like Hillary and Bernie and all those who are clearly socialists. And then non-socialists on the Republican side with people like Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. And I don't remember who all the candidates were. Those aren't non-socialists. Because public school is socialism. uh, Social Security is socialism. Medicare, Medicaid are socialism. Health care. By government taxation is socialism. It's all socialism on both sides of the equation. And what I'm saying is that this this spirit that we see of rioting and breaking glass and and uh, trying to intimidate other people in society uh, with a violent you know name calling and accusations and and uh, even violence in the streets is of a certain spirit. It's a spirit of archism. It's a spirit of ruling over other people. Whether you want to rule over the rich or the, the uh, middle class. I mean, what's happened today is the middle class, the rich do pay a lot of taxes, but it's the middle class that really pays most of them. And uh, have received the biggest burden of taxation. And most of that taxation has nothing to do with providing benefits. It has to do with paying interest, which has to do with the fact that uh, the people in America and people all around the world do not keep the Sabbath. Because you do not keep the Sabbath because you got a lunar calendar. You do not keep the Sabbath because you count seven days. You do not keep the Sabbath because you don't go to work on one particular day. You keep the Sabbath because you work first and earn the rest you take. Today in the world, people do not work first and earn what they take. They go into debt. Anybody in debt, any nation in debt is not a Sabbath-keeping nation. Any people in debt is not Sabbath-keeping. Write that down. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I know a lot of people aren't going to like that because they think, oh, it's the day. It's a magic day. We count... We have the special calendar. We have the special way of figuring what day is the Sabbath. And that we're going to keep that day holy because we're not going to do any work on that day. We're not going to make anybody else do any work on that day. But Jesus clearly was ticking Pharisees off because his people were doing things they considered work on that day. But what Jesus wasn't doing is borrowing against tomorrow. What you do is borrow against tomorrow. And that's what Sabbath keeping is really all about. So all the Seventh-day Adventists who are in debt haven't got a clue what they're doing. All the Messianic Jews who are counting with their seven-day calendar or their lunar calendar uh, haven't got a clue what they're talking about if they're in debt. And if they're a citizen of the United States expecting any kind of benefit from the United States government or any other government, Australian government or any other government, which is provided by men who call themselves benefactors but are actually exercising authority one over the other. In other words, extracting either funds or borrowing against the future of your children and your neighbor. You're not following Christ. You're not a Christian. And you're fooling yourself. And if you expected to have me tickle your ears, you got another guest coming. Because that isn't what it is. If you are dependent upon the benefits of men who exercise authority to take care of yourself and your family or anybody else, your, your parents, you need to turn around and go the other way. That's the answer. Now, I'm not saying you can do that in one day. I'm not say that you're supposed to just like throw all those things, all those benefits away and starve in the street. But you need to count the cost. You need to turn around, put your hand to the plow and head down the narrow path of the kingdom. And that's what we're here to talk to you about, what that narrow path looks like. It does not look like socialism doesn't look like electing men who exercise, you know, a better benefactor who exercises authority. It, it's not that answer. That is not the answer. That's still a rejection of God. Saul was a great guy, but the power that he was given corrupted him. I'd be surprised that the power given in the presidency does not corrupt him and all the 4,000 people he just hired to change governments and And probably thousands more, we hear about a lot of other people talking about quitting uh the government who are working in civil service because Trump is the president now and they may you know a lot of the people who said they were going to leave the country I haven't left the country, so they may not so the the point is is the solution is Christ, and that's what you need to be seeking. And so what does that look like to seek the solution of Christ? Now, a lot of people don't like what I have to say. A lot of people have come to our network and then they get to a certain point and then they kind of abandon all the people that are are gathering in the network. And uh, that's their choice. I I would not be surprised is that at that Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus was going to give away those loaves and fishes when he said everybody had to organize themselves into groups of 50, in other words, tens and fifties. That Which is the tradition of Israel to do that in all things. It wasn't just Jethro's trying to figure out how to resolve the courts. You have to remember the Levites were a part of the court system. They were the appeals courts. That's what the cities of refuge were. We've gone through that. This whole webpage explains how the cities of refuge works. I've added to that page in the last couple of weeks. I've added to the page on what the Levites were doing. And we're going to be talking about that. And we're going to be talking about denominationalism. Because people are dividing themselves off. They're abandoning one another because of denominationalism. They have named what they think the church looks like. And of course, I could be accused of doing the same thing. But Christ appointed the church. Christ is the denominator of the church. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand what that means. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at it in great detail. We're going to go through it step by step to find out how Christ's church actually worked. How the kingdom of God, because that's what he was doing. He was appointing the kingdom of God to these apostles. How does that actually work in real ways that not only will change my life, but maybe even change me. Perfect me. If I pursue the actual way of Christ. That's what Christianity was called. It wasn't called Christianity again until Antioch. Before that, it was called the way. So, what way is that? And it has to conform to Christ when we look at that way. That's the critical thing, is to conform to Christ. I believe also it will conform to what Moses actually intended. For people like the Levites and Israel. Because the Levites were separate from Israel. They were the ministers to Israel, but they were separate. They were consecrated out. They had no inheritance in the land, but they had land, but they had no inheritance in the land. What does that mean? What were they even talking about? And we're going to look at a lot of these things, and we're going to go into ancient writings at times. We're going to go into opinions about ancient writings. We're going to go into the Torah. We're going to go into uh, the King James Bible. And we're going to go into the Greek and the Hebrew of these Bibles to take a look and find out what was the church really doing. And part of that is to find out what the Levites were really supposed to be doing. They weren't doing it at the time that Jesus arrived. Because he said they weren't doing it. He said they, wouldn't, they weren't doing what Moses said. So they weren't doing it. And we see that some Levites repented. Like Barnabas. He was a Levite. He was called Hoses. as a Levite. And he repented of whatever he was doing before. Over there in Cyprus. And became Barnabas. And started doing what the early church was doing. The problem is the church today is not doing what the early church did. They're out there tickling itchy ears. Who want to hear some version of the the denominational version of the truth so that they will feel like they are faithful to Christ. And they are actually not faithful to Christ. And the watchman on the wall needs to tell them, you need to take a look at this anew. This idea of church anew. I just added to a page called emotional socialism. And what what does that mean? Because I, as most of you are socialists out there, and Christ was not a socialist. He was anti-socialist, if anything. He wasn't going to riot against them. He was going to say, no, we have to repent and go another way. America's been going the wrong way. Most of the countries in the world have been going the wrong way. And it's gotten real far, and it's gotten real dangerous, and now it's time to turn around and go back the other way. And you need to know what that way looks like. And that's what we're going to be talking about when we return to Keys to the Kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. So, the kingdom is a government. The Bible is about government. It mentions government hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It mentions mentions the word religion five times. It does talk about religion because all governments are religious. They all require a certain faith or allegiance. Same thing. Allegiance is just compelled faith. Faith is really should be compelled within your heart. You're faithful because. Your heart is compelling you. But, of course, allegiance is when you take an oath and swear that you will be faithful. All faith and credit kind of thing. That's allegiance. But they are really the same thing. They're just a little bit different in the way they go about attaining your faith. Christ does not want you to swear an oath. As a matter of fact, He was against swearing oaths. He says, above all else... You know, at least in the Bible, it tells us through James, above all else, stop the taking of oaths, because it binds your conscience, and you cannot act by uh, on faith if you swore that you will do something a certain way. You're no longer moving by faith. And how does Christ organize the church? How does He build the church? How does He edify the church through revelation, not through flesh and blood? Oaths are flesh and blood. So anyway. God's got a government. Man creates government. Cain created government. Nimrod created a government. Caesar created a government. But God had a government too. It operates differently. So how, how does it operate differently? The church is God's government. It's just another form of government than what you see out there in the world. It can do almost everything that the other governments does except it doesn't do them in the same way. It has a different way. And that's why Christianity was called The way. So you go to church and it makes you feel good and you get a very, you know, you know, huggy feeling, you know, everybody kind of hugs each other, shakes each other's hand, you know, and and touchy-feely. And and that's fine. But that's not the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is something a lot more. It reaches a lot farther into the very depths of your own soul and being. It's not superficial. So, If we're going to talk about government, what do some people say about government? Well, one of the people who talked a great deal about government was a guy named James Madison. Uh, James Madison thought that public school was a good idea. But when he said public school, he didn't think what you think when I say public school today. He thought the absolute indigent of society who cannot obtain education by any other means... Should be able to go to public school and provide for one another uh, an education that would be funded by the government. And there were public schools back in his days, but not like public schools today. Schools back then were mostly public schools back then were mostly funded by private donations and free will offerings of the people. There wasn't very many public schools, but the public government support of these schools were like they would buy books. You know, that was one of the very first things that Congress of the United States did was had a bunch of books printed up to provide these books to those who could not get them any other way. The only thing was was the book that they had printed up was the Bible. <laughs> so... I I disagree with using public funds to print Bibles. But I disagree with using public funds to promote public education. I think Madison was wrong. He did not realize what he was doing. Now, he talked about it a lot. And one of the things he said, and, and this was, had to do with government funding of a particular need, you know, creating, a, I think it was actually a bounty on a fish or something, Uh, But it was a controversy at his time. And so he said, if Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare and are the sole and supreme judgment of the general welfare, they may take the, uh, the care of religion into their own hands. Now, what was religion then? Back then, the definition of religion... In Bovier's Law Dictionary, which was connected to the Constitution for centuries now, was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. So when he says they take care of religion, he's talking about the duty of each of us to our fellow man and to God, which our duty to God is to love our fellow man. I mean, God doesn't need anything. You don't have to throw money up at God. God don't need money. He doesn't need statues. He doesn't need big cathedrals. He doesn't need crystal cathedrals. He doesn't need, you know, fancy tapestry and gold chalices. He doesn't want any of that stuff. God's not that insecure. He doesn't need your money. You know, like, was it uh George Carlin? He says, you have a whole routine about God can do all-powerful, all, powerful, all that, but the one thing He can't handle is money. He always needs money. No, He doesn't always need money. You need to help one another. Now, that may inquire into the use of money. It may require the use of money. It may require the use of giving sheep and food and, and what have you. But God doesn't need any of that. He's not going to eat any of that. You need to take care of one another. And that's what religion was. Was the way in which you took care of one another. And we've shown this over and over again. What they were doing in the temples of Rome. And how that all worked. And we got lots of articles on it. And you go read those. But anyway, when he, Madison is saying. They may take care of religion into their own hands. If Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare. They may appoint teachers in every state. Which, of course, is what they do. You can pick a teacher, but he has to be certified. And if he's not certified according to federal standards, you don't get federal money. Uh, He says every state, every county, and parish, and pay them out of their public treasury. Federal government does that. It's called revenue sharing. They may take into their own hands the education of children. They have. Establishing in like manner schools throughout the Union. They have. He's saying if Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare, these things will take place. He's talking against these things taking place. They may assume the provisions of the poor. They have. <laughs> <laughs> they may undertake the regulation of all the roads other than post roads. They have. And they actually are regulating and even closing what they call post roads, which we'll, we, we may talk about. Or we actually have talked about in other shows. We have an abundance, hundreds and hundreds of hours of audios that go into the details of your own history and how this relates to the Bible, how it relates to the gospel. And you can take them along and put them in your car, put them in your phone. (laughs) Just go to, you know, uh, go to the websites, join the network, ask them how to do this. And there are people that are more savvy about it than me. But anyway, Madison is going on warning you here. In short, everything from the highest object of state legislation down to the most minute object of police. Which, of course, they have. <laughs> By what? Revenue sharing. Where do they get the revenue? If Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare. He was talking about not doing that. Warning you not to let them do that. And, of course, they have. Um uh, He said, would be thrown under the power of Congress. All these things would be thrown under the power of Congress. And, of course, it has. Were the power of Congress to be established in the latitude contended for, it would subvert the very foundation and transmute the very nature of the limited government established by the people of America. Now, actually, I have a problem with that last line, because the government of the United States was not established by the people. They were not a party to that government, not originally. And if you go read our book, free online, Contracts, Governance, and Constitutions, you will show that this is what the government stated, that the people were not a party to it. And that we, the people, did not include the general population of America. And it was never put to a vote. It wasn't them who established the United States government. But now, since then, lots have happened. You're all U.S. citizens now. You weren't U.S. citizens before. You all have been partakers. And your parents before you have been partakers of these benefactors who exercise authority. You've eaten at their table. And Paul tells you this. David tells you this. Proverb tells you this that their table is a snare. And the covetous practice of desiring all these benefits of education, police, roads, all these things at the expense of your neighbor through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, these covetous practices would make you merchandise. It has! You are merchandise. And you cannot undo that by your belligerent claimants in person. You can't just claim your way out of bondage. You've gone into bondage. If you want to get out of bondage, you have to repent. You have to think a different way. That's very critical. This is, this is the instruction from Christ. Now, we just heard from, you know, James Madison. He also said, The whole future of American civilization has been staked not upon the power of government, but upon the capacity of each and all of us, the people, to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Which, of course, Jesus did not do away with the Ten Commandments. He said, they are all encompassed in two commandments, to love God and to love each other. To love your neighbor as Christ loved you. This is the Ten Commandments. If you're doing that, you're going to keep the Ten Commandments. If you're not keeping the Ten Commandments, you don't really love your neighbor as yourself. So if you desire any of those benefits for your education, like that girl one, uh, student loans paid for by your neighbor, rich or poor, if that's what you want, you don't want to keep the Ten Commandments. You are engaged in covetous practices. Whether the math works out or not doesn't make any difference. It's a covetous practice. You will become merchandise. Now, one of these days, you will realize that you've become merchandise and you won't like it. And a lot of people are starting to realize that and they don't like it. And they protest. Well, lots of luck with that. Christ did not say Protest and seek the kingdom of God. He said, Repent and seek the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, he said, Resist not evil. You seek righteousness and you'll be way better off than resisting evil. But the problem is, you're not righteous yourself. You can't really do much about the guy next door, but you can do something about yourself. You are not righteous. You haven't been acting righteous. Your parents haven't been acting righteous. They've been going to church and they may be really nice guys. But you've been a bunch of greedy, covetous socialists. Social security is a socialist program. Welfare is a socialist program. All these things are socialist. Now, I'm not saying you're a sinner because you're involved in them. I'm saying because you're a sinner, you're involved in them. (laughs) There's a little difference there, a little difference. So what we want to do now is turn around. What do we do to go back the other way? We've already gone down the road of unrighteousness quite a ways for generations now. How do we get back And one of the keys to understanding that is to understand Christ. And one of the keys to understanding Christ is to understand what the Levites were really supposed to be doing. Because what the Levites were really supposed to be doing, they were supposed to be doing what the altars of Abraham were doing before them. And what Melchizedek was doing before them. Because we're supposed to be organized according to the order of Melchizedek. But Moses did not organize the Levites. In any way different than that. Believe it or not. That was his intention. Now the interpretation of what the Levites were doing. Is all over the board. But so the interpretation of what Christ was doing. Is all over the board. Which is why you have 40,000 different denominations. So I can't get rid of those denominations. And I have no interest in getting rid of those denominations. I have an interest in finding out. What the denomination of Christ is. Christ is the common denominator of his church. Now, his church is a specific institution. But there were people that were not connected to his church that were doing things in his name. And the apostles came upon them. And they said, hey, wait a minute now. These people are not with us. But they're claiming to be doing things in Christ's name. And and they wanted to forbid them to do these things. And and to stop them from doing these things. But Jesus said, and this is in Luke 9.50, Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us Is for us. So there's a lot of people that might be really a part of Christ's kingdom. That are not with us here in this tiny little network. That may grow immensely with God's blessing. But what Jesus said is if they are not against us. So how many of these denominations out there that claim to be Christian, are actually against Christ. Against His appointed church. His denominated church. How many of those congregations out there are against Jesus Christ, yet they claim Jesus Christ. Well, of course, we know also, quotes from Jesus' own mouth, that many will say that they're coming in His name, doing these great things in His name, but they... He says, get ye from me. I know you not. So, we know... And He doesn't say a few. He says many. So, there may be many denominations out there, and of course, denominations are not saved. It's individuals. But there are many denominations out there that actually claiming to lead people to Christ may be leading people away from Christ. Claiming to be leading people to the kingdom of God are actually leading people away from the kingdom of God. And I can tell you right now, without going through any big long list, any any religious denomination who says it's okay to desire Benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other are not for Christ. They're against Christ. Because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. So if they say it's okay to be that way with you, then they are not Christian. They are against Christ. And Christ already forbade it. I don't have to forbid it. Christ already forbid it. It says it is not to be that way with you. And most of these churches out there think it's okay to pursue... They actually even have a list set in, their, in their ministry of government agencies you can go to to get benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. And that is Antichrist. Boy, wow, wow. Now, note when I first stated that, I said those who desire those benefits. You may need to take those benefits today. Because you're going to starve to death without them. You may freeze to death. I don't want people freezing to death out there in the middle of the street. But I can't take in everybody who's out in the street. But we can take in an awful lot of people who are actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So those who want to come together to serve. And so, you know, actually today, just just before the program started, I was removing people from what we call our personal contact minister list. And before the day's out, I'll probably remove a couple more. And we've notified everybody for a year at least, I would think, that if you don't join a congregation you cannot be a personal contact minister because it's clear you don't want to do what the job of a personal contact minister is because the job is to help people gather together to organize in those 50s that Jesus said that you have to organize in these 50s or I'm not going to give you any of these bread and fishes that's a he you people skip that it's right there in the text where they had to all organize and sit down, to even say sit down. They're not just talking about you have to be you with your butt on the ground, you know, that you have to be sitting down. They're talking about set yourself in groups of 50. And the way they set themselves in groups of 50 is 10 people got together and they were in a group of 10 and then the 10 got into a group of 50. Five groups of 10 is 50. You know, like the last time I checked, that's how it works. Now, did he spell all this out in these books and, you know, go there and you have to go? No, he didn't. But it's in there in the Bible. I was pointing out to somebody, you know, when Jesus said, you know, when Moses told people they all had to have a sword. He also told them that they had to have this little spoon digging device on the hilt of their sword. So that they could dig their latrine with this hilt in the sword, this little spoon-like shovel in their sword. Because he didn't want them just defecating on the ground because there was this problem of of uh, passing parasites around and disease around. And so you had to dig your latrine. And uh, that's that was an important thing to Moses. He talks about it. It's all part of the... And then you had to wash your hands and you had to wash your feet and everything. And all this stuff. It's all about hygiene. It wasn't magical. It was just get off the bacteria and the parasites that were infesting the people in those days, which we, we've talked about. We've talked about Canaan how it was infested with uh, parasites from pork, and they, the, you know, the whole food laws had to do with good health practices, common sense. There was a reason for this. Not magical. There's a reason for it and there are many levels to that reasoning but anyway the point is is that when jesus said if you don't have a sword sell your coat to go get one because the sword is more important than your coat that's what he was telling his apostles people would try to tell me those are eating utensils i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> Because evidently Peter cut off somebody's ear with it right away. And that was no butter knife. (laughs) So, anyway, the point is, Jesus didn't say that they had to have a hilt on their sword handle. Right? That that you could dig your latrine with. We don't see him saying that. Now, he might have said it. They didn't record every little word that Jesus said. We know that there were a lot of things that Jesus talked to these guys about that he lived with them for three years You know, they didn't have TV, so they sat up at night around the campfire talking about a lot of different stuff. It's not all in the Bible. You got to connect the dots and fill things in a little bit. Because you could actually argue that we can now defecate on the ground. We don't have to dig a latrine because Jesus didn't say we have to have a hilt on our sword. (laughs) That's how silly people get. And that is silly. And I hope nobody goes that far. But... Uh, that is just as ridiculous as it gets because they can't connect the dots. Why can't they connect the dots? Well, why didn't Jesus spell all these things out in great detail so that we, people who study the Bible, could go and read His specific instructions on every single thing from our latrine to how we sit in groups and all this kind of stuff. Why didn't He do that? Because that's not how He builds His kingdom. That's not how he edifies the kingdom. not how he builds his church. He builds it through revelation. And if you really have a heart for Christ, you will start to see the pattern and put things together. If you don't, you won't see any better than those anarchists, fake anarchists, running around in the streets, smashing windows. We're going to talk more about this and we're going to show you how to connect some of those dots when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Be right back.
0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, so we're going to be really talking about some of the structures of those Keys of the Kingdom and how they fit into the lock that unlocks... Your prison that you now dwell in, that your bondage that you now dwell in. Christ came to set you free. He didn't come to set you free so you can do anything you want. He came to set you free so you can do what Christ wants, what God wants, because they're one and the same thing. Today, many churches gather you together so that they can teach you to do what Christ doesn't want and to make you feel good about it anyway. And to give you a strong delusion that you are saved when you are not saved because you are actually doing contrary to what... All those people who came to Christ saying, we do all these great things in your name. And he says, "Too many, get ye from me, I know you're not. They were not saved. They thought they were saved, but they were not saved. Thinking you're saved and being saved is two different things. Out there in the modern church today, they're pre- preaching fake salvation. <laughs> We always hear about fake news, fake this, fake that. Fake salvation. That's what the modern church preaches. Make you feel like you're saved. Emotionally, you feel like you're saved. That's that uh, emotional socialism. Makes you feel good, but it isn't true. It isn't real. It isn't the salvation that Christ offers. And we need to understand that we need to reject that we need to reject the ways of these people who think that that is the way of Christ it is not the way of Christ it is contrary to the ways of Christ so anyway we're we're going to take a look at the early church and one of the ways we're going to approach this is to take a look back At the Levites. And one of the reasons why. Is because the early church fathers. What they call their church fathers. Writers. You know like Jerome. Jerome said the church's job. Was identical to that of the Levites. He said that the the elders. The bishops. The ministers. Everybody. They were to do. What the Levites were supposed to do back then. Well, why? Are we supposed to pile up stones and kill sheep and set them on fire? Well, like I said, a lot of the Jews at the time of Jesus Christ, mostly amongst what we call the Essenes, looking back in history, they didn't call themselves that, but that Essene-type community did not believe in animal sacrifice where you pile up stones Killed sheep and set them on fire. They didn't believe. They read the Torah. Uh, they did Passover. They did tabernacles. They did all these holidays. But they thought that the Pharisees' interpretation of animal sacrifice was a fiction and a fraud. I mean, they killed the lamb at Passover. And they ate the lamb at Passover. But they did not burn up sheep. Or doves, and we have a huge amount of literature that shows you right in the Hebrew Bible that that's not what they were talking about. Now it takes a little bit of humility sometimes for people to say, What do you mean? I've read the Bible; I see what it says there and everything." Well, do you, or are you some of those many that think they know what the Bible says? Know what Christ said, and don't. Now I could be lying to you. I could be wrong. I could be deceiving you. Ultimately, I don't build the church. I I don't. I may, in roundabout sort of way, edify the church, but I don't make it happen. It happens by revelation. So you're gonna have to look in your own hearts. You're gonna have to be still. And listen to what God is telling you. Now, there's a lot of spirits out there that want to tell you to do this, that, and the other thing. And they are not the Spirit of God. They are not doing things according to the Spirit of God or the way of God. And you're just going to have to figure out what that is that God is telling you and what is not God. That is a false God. Because, see, most of the churches, like I say, are out there, the denominations that are out there are saying it's okay to go to the government, the men who exercise authority one over the other, and pray for their benefits, apply for their benefits even though they can only provide for you by taking away from your neighbor. And of course, in all these governments now, they don't just take away from your neighbor, they take away from your neighbor's children. So in all these governments, they curse your children and your neighbor's children with debt. Because none of these governments are Sabbath keepers. All of them are operating in the red. All operating in debt. They're just not Sabbath keepers. I don't care. What all these people who look to these governments are not Sabbath keepers. They're taking one from another, and they're taking from the future generation because they're they're operating more and more and more and more and more in debt. So anyway, what's the solution? Turn around, go the other way. What does the other way look like? And this is what we're going to be talking about. We'll go all the way back to Numbers 18.6. It's one of the first places uh, in Numbers where they start talking about um, Levites. And it says, And behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle Of the congregation. Whenever you see that tabernacle of the congregation. That is different than. The single tabernacle. It's the tabernacle of the congregation. Which is the tents. Of the congregation. Because the congregation. Remember. God had freed the people from a government. Called Egypt. Which was considered. A government of bondage. It freed them from that, but he also freed them from the benefits of that government. No more free straw, no more leeks and onions. Uh, I'm think life got hard seeking the kingdom of God because that's what they were doing out there in the desert, wandering around for 40 years. They were seeking the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is not a place; it's within you. But those hard times help bring them to the knowledge. Even the reason God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh so that they All the Israelites would go through these plagues of Egypt. They went through these plagues of Egypt to learn something. You're going to get to learn the same lesson. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? You all are going to go through the plagues of Egypt again so that you can learn the lessons that the Israelites needed to learn. They'd lived in a social welfare state for 400 years. If you haven't lived in there for 400 years, I hope that God doesn't allow, at the rate you're headed, you're not going to make it 400 years. But at least for the last 100 years, maybe more, you've been in the social welfare state. You've got a long ways to go back because you've been busy, busy people. So anyway, the Levites, from amongst the children of Israel, he was going to take them. They were going to belong to him. To you, they are given a gift for the Lord. Now, they are and given as, as the word as is not in the original text. What's in the text is you given gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle, of the congregation. Now, it may mean to you they are given, but it may mean that when you give a gift to the Lord, You give it to them. Because there's no way you can send a gift up to God. You know, what do you throw it up in the air? It doesn't work that way. It's talking about these Levites belonging to God. He's taking them for himself. He's separating them out. He's sanctifying. Sanctifying, separating, same thing. He wasn't creating a sovereign group. He was creating a Servant group, sovereign. Definition of a sovereign is someone who is a supreme ruler, maker, a maker of laws. They're not making laws; they are servants. God makes the law, so God is still sovereign with the Levites being His servant. They don't make laws. They don't. They're not a legislature. They didn't have a Sanhedrin. They were passing statutes. They didn't. They did That's not what they were doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. But that isn't what they were doing, the Levites. In 18.8, we see, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offering of all the hollowed things, of all the hollowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing, Messiah." and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. Forever. Now, let's go back a step when we mentioned Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. Aaron wasn't the high priest until Moses said he was. Because in truth, the power of the high priest and the power of the Pharaoh, the power of the king, was all in the hands of Moses, arranged by God, To be in the hands of Moses. And Moses decided not to rule over the people. But to set them free. They called Moses Moses. Not for the same reason they called Pharaoh Moses. Because at that time. Tutan Moses was the Pharaoh. A lot of people will argue that. But it has to do with Egyptian chronology. But they said, we call him Moses because he was drawn from the water. We don't call him Moses because he rules over us because that's not what he wants to do. He doesn't want to rule over us. He wants us to be free souls under God. But he also wants us to keep the Ten Commandments because he knows if you don't keep the Ten Commandments, you will not remain free souls under God. It's cause and effect. So, Aaron... Power was because Moses gave it to him. God arranged that Moses was both high priest and king. Jesus was both high priest and king. And we've gone through that. I mean, the, the legitimate high priest at that time was really, I shouldn't say, maybe it depends on how you look at the word legitimate, but the real high priest at that time was John the Baptist. For a variety of reasons that go through in in long dissertations on the subject. But Jesus did not go to the laver at the temple where Ananias' sons and son-in-law were high priests. There was an Ananias back then. This is historical Ananias. But he went out to John the Baptist to be baptized. He didn't go to the laver at the temple because the real high priest was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist thought Jesus was going to take his place. This is the one who is to come after me to take my position as high priest. Later on, John the Baptist discovers that, oh my gosh, Jesus is to be the king. Not just the high priest coming after me, he is to be the king, and he actually sends messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one? And he, and knowing who Jesus was before, he's saying, are you the one to be high priest and king? This is what he's asking. And of course, he says, well, what he, go tell him what you see. Let him figure it out. He didn't connect the dots for John the Baptist either. Revelation was going to do that. And I'm not going to connect all the dots for you, but I'm going to connect a few more dots for you than you've had connected. I've been hoping more of you would start connecting the dots, but some of you are just struggling against it. And, you know, I've I've just produced a 6,000-word document that goes through a lot of this, and we will be revealing that as these shows go on so you can read along. And then you can go back and listen to these again. But what I'm quoting you right now is not actually in that document. But that document links you to other documents that we've put together on the, online. You know, about Levites and about abandonment and about all kinds of other things. And you you just need to do a lot of praying and thinking and, and maybe studying to figure out what this is all about. So this whole Numbers 18.8 is talking about Aaron Behold and these Levites were to be in charge of the heave offerings of all the hollowed things of the children of Israel. Forever. Forever. But this is... Remember, the Levites are just taking the place of the stones of Abraham. Altars. And Abraham was emulating what Melchizedek was doing, who was the righteous king of peace. Because if you even go all the way back to the days of Nimrod... They had the tens, hundreds, and thousands back there in the days of Nimrod. and We show that on our page on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But the difference, again, and this is critical, the difference is is that the tens, hundreds, and thousands of Nimrod were organized from the top down. The tens, hundreds, and thousands of Christ, of Moses, of Abraham, uh, the Levites numbered them but they didn't number them like a top-down king because we see that later. Uh, David started numbering the people and stopped because he, he was sinning against God because he was numbering from the top down. The Levites numbered. In other words, they recorded by witness how the people organized themselves. That's what they were doing. They were organizing themselves from the bottom up. I mean, even... Even Peter says, look out amongst yourselves and pick men you trust. Then Peter appoints them. They wanted Jesus to appoint the apostles. You appoint us to these positions. It's not for me, he says, to appoint you. It's for God. Well, how does God communicate with man? Through the hearts and minds of the individual man who is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because the kingdom of heaven is within each of you. So, you have to organize yourselves if you want to see the kingdom manifested. But you have to do it according to the Spirit of God in you. And the question is, is that the Spirit of God in you? What is the fruit of what you're producing? And so, when I show you what you're producing, it's going to come in conflict sometimes with what you want to believe. You're not going to like that. Too bad. Just gonna have to get used to disappointment, I guess let's take a look at uh uh verse nine This shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, every sin offering of theirs every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. And this is back to that forever. So the Levites, and the, who are serving Aaron, you know, throughout the... Government of Israel. All these things are reserved for them. You know, every trespass offering, every sin offering, all these things. They're in charge of this charity. But it's still charity, so you're still in charge of what you give. That doesn't mean you can't give to one another. It doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility to one another. But you should be doing it in these small little intimate groups, just like family. Small little intimate groups that are sharing amongst each other, but also sharing with the whole nation because the Levites are connected all over the country. And we'll show you more about how that works. In Numbers eighteen fourteen, we see everything devoted in Israel shall be thine, talking about the Levites everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Numbers 18, 14. Now that word devoted there, Chet resh mem is the actual word that we're talking about. Chet resh mem Resh has to do with authority. Chet is the original word. I'll let you guys go look that up yourself. Mem has to do with flow. So this is the flowing of authority, but it's not authority over people. Because the Levites were not forming a Congress or a Sanhedrin to make laws. They weren't sovereign to make laws and to tell you what you had to do here and what you had to do there. But they did have authority over what you gave them. And even on a local level, you have a needy person in your congregation, you should be giving by way of... Of your Levite minister, and there's numerous reasons why this is very clever. God is very clever. God, <laughs> if you give to an individual, and you certainly still can do that, but if you make a habit of you only you don't want to give through the minister, you only want to give direct, then the appreciation of your gift is also direct. What you're doing is helping out those who will love you back. You're creating a relationship of appreciation between you and the individual you're helping. And that's great for you and the individual you're helping. But it's not kingdom thinking. If you give it to the minister and the minister gives it, what the minister gives, he can only give because you gave to him and everybody else gave to him. So, the appreciation is not directed just towards the minister, but to the whole congregation. It creates loyalty in the whole congregation. It makes the congregation a family of men without undermining the authority within the individual family. Just amazingly clever God God is. (laughs) I mean, that's just astounding. He's creating allegiance without an oath. He's creating faith in a way of charity rather than a way of force. He's creating invisible bonds between you and those other nine members of your congregation. But just thinking congregationally is not thinking kingdom. That minister must take a share of what he's given it's his. That's what it says there. Shall be thine. Everything that is devoted in Israel is thine. He gets in. He receives a thousand dollars from his ten family congregation. Hundred dollars from each, maybe. Maybe got hundred twenty from this guy and eighty from that guy. Whatever. And Now some people say, "Oh no, tithing is only sheep," and I, we'll get into that later. <laughs> we'll just we'll do it in units of numbers rather than. Uh, you know, particular items. But he gets a thousand units. Now, he's got to take some of that in order to stay in tune with the plan. He's got to give some of that to his minister. Because he's not a member of the congregation he serves. He's a member of the congregation of ministers he gathers with. He's the next group of ten. And so, he will give to his minister. That's the way it works. And, of course, now five of these makes a 50, but ten of these groups make a 100. And so, there's this, this, these other subliminal connections in this network of charity. So now, nobody's going to give to him unless he manages that devoted offering well and takes care of the needy in their congregation well. But they're not just this isolated little congregation. They're part of a kingdom. So he has to take some of that and give it to his minister. So he has to choose his minister well and, and be loyal within his own congregation of ministers because what his minister receives, some of that may come down to these other congregations. In time of need or catastrophe or stress, Again, more of those invisible, intimate bonds of faith. And hope. Because there could be ten families over here that suffer a tremendous disaster. Flood, tidal wave, earthquake, whatever. That doesn't affect the other congregations because they're a little farther away. And they can help out. I always remember, and I've told this story before up here, what we call the Silver Lake Fire. happened many years before I was born, where half the town, more than half the town, were gathered together in a big kind of meeting hall, and it caught on fire. Somebody tipped over a lantern, and and it was in front of the exit door, and people couldn't get out that way, so they started climbing out on the roof of the porch that surrounded this hall, it was in the second floor where the fire started, and people died. people were burned the uh the porch roof collapsed uh it was terrible. I mean, the fire spread rapidly, and uh there were all kinds of people injured, and they writers went out right away to the next town and to the next town and you know telling they needed help and wagons were loaded up right away with blankets and bandages and food and water and they took it up there and they were helping people immediately. Because they didn't have any fire in the other communities but that community was just devastated with injured and dead. And they came and helped them out. And that was just the way communities used to be. Nowadays, nobody goes. That's not our job. I mean, there was a fire down in Weed, I've, I've talked about this, those of you who listen regularly and uh, locals gathered up food and and clothes and stuff and sent down there to somebody at the Forest Service, I think was the, the big truck that loaded it all up and hauled it down. Well, they didn't have any connections down there. We happened to have connections in that town. And we loaded up a big van full of stuff, and it went straight to the kitchen that was feeding people and clothing people. And they were just over; they were really thankful because they they were just running out of food when our people showed up. The other stuff that everybody else sent down, well intentioned, it never got to the ministers. Never got to even to the town. It was put in a warehouse fifty miles away in a big pile and never used. Some of it was thrown away. Amazing. You know, you have to work at this. And that's what self-organizing is all about. You have to get together. And the Levites were to record. You're getting together. And we'll we'll get into that eventually here too. I don't know. We'll have time for all of this. Numbers 18.21 And behold, I have given the children... Of Levi, all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. What is he talking about? Well, you're not going to be able to get into all this before uh, the end of the show. But that is an important thing. A tenth. It didn't say tithing there. It's actually the same Hebrew word for tithing. But it says all the tenth. And we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back. Uh, These first few shows, and we'll have another one later on this afternoon, join the network and find out the details, uh, are to begin to talk about this denominating what the truth is about Christ. It is trying to find out, are we using Christ as our common denominator? Here I've been talking about the Levites. Which, supposedly, that's all done away with. But of course, none of that is done away with, except for the terminology. Because, like I say, in the Old Testament, you don't find the word charity anywhere in the King James. It never mentions charity anywhere in the Old Testament. The word just does not appear. But they talk about something that looks like charity free will offerings, heave offerings. You know, all this to do what? To take care of the tabernacle of the congregation, which is the tents of the congregation. And they actually, in several places where it says, take care of the tabernacles and the tabernacles of the congregation. I think that's two different things. Well, it is two different things. The tabernacle was originally a tent. There was no stone temple. Even building a stone temple was a strain from the formula, which involved a tent. was not really for the glory of God. Which is actually anti-God. Which is why again David stopped building it. And we'll quote some of the things that were said about David. and, And by David at that time. In this series. But basically what we're trying to figure out is. What is a really true Christian denomination? A Christian denomination is identified by a common denominator of Christ. And... His doctrine. So it has to be Christ's doctrine that is is what identifies that Christian denomination. Not their doctrine. Not all these other doctrines that are con uh, conjured up by reading all kinds of different things and putting them together and coming to a conclusion. If Christ didn't say it, it's not his doctrines. I mean, you're welcome to your opinions about what he meant, but that's not his doctrine. That's your opinion. And I'm welcome to my opinion. But the common denominator is what Christ actually said. So claiming to be Christian or a follower of Christ, same thing. That's what Christian means, a follower of Christ, is not enough to make a group, an actual actual Christian group. We're told to look, you know, their fruits shall identify them. Not what they say, but what they do. You cannot be a Christian group at the same time that you're doing things that Christ condemned or forbid. He condemned the Corban of the Pharisees. So what is that? We tell you what, we show you what that was. Uh, he forbid. To, that you be like the governments of the gentiles who had men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority he told you not to eat at the tables of those you cannot you know serve two masters and and you're to pray to your father in heaven not to the fathers of the earth and we explain what that means so even though this is 6000 Page document that I'm reading from at the very top now it links you to all these other articles that show you what these words mean, and it's an indictment of the modern church, sure, but it's done so that you turn around. You need help get you to turn around. I'm kind of slapping you across the face. To wake up and say, yeah, we need to self-organize. We need to start doing what the early church did. And if we're not doing what the early church did, we're probably not the church. Because that's the other thing. You not only can't be doing what Christ condemned and forbid. You should be doing what Christ said to do. We have to believe that the very early church... That was led by ministers like James and Peter. Who knew Christ. Walked daily with Christ. And who approved of ministers like Paul. Refer to him as a brother. Telling you that he's going to talk to you about things that are hard to understand. If they were hard to understand back then. They're even harder to understand now. After 2,000 years of apostasy. Running around rampant. Having its effect on your minds. And therefore, upon your hearts. We should be doing what Christ said to do. And we should be doing something that looks very similar to the early church. Because the rest of the world is very similar to the Roman Empire. And we make that abundantly clear in all the writings and all the recordings that we do. The early church was self-organizing. It organized itself into a network of people that were actually taking care of all those things, like social welfare. We used to do it in this country just a hundred years ago. The Christians were doing it in the heart of the Roman Empire, as the Roman Empire was declining and falling. And Rome tried different things, electing this emperor and that emperor. And the emperor simply means commander-in-chief, so that's a very interesting thing. And they often had another office that the emperors uh, would occupy called Principas Civitas, which is the president of Rome. And they also had another office that appointed all the judges throughout the empire. And they, they elected these emperors through an electoral college of the Senate and the senate was elected to all these little equestrian provinces throughout the, not throughout the roman empire but the you know the basically rome itself and this system of government this indirect democracy Because, you know, the emperors had to take an oath of office. They had a constitution they had to follow. All this kind of stuff. And originally Rome came out of a republic. But by the time the emperors were elected, the republic was all but dead. There were people who rebelled and tried to get back to those principles of the republic. But ultimately you just cannot put new wine in old wineskins. So that system was going to fall. And what replaced it was the system of Christianity. And there were no kings in Europe to speak of for almost a thousand years. And then the kings all started rising up again, killing Christians by the millions until we reinvented Christianity entirely. And now you are in the position of being able to repent and return to the ways of Christ. And I tell you, if you start going back to the ways of Christ, of faith, hope, and charity, of a A structured system of self-organized people who are actually gathering together, not to gain their own particular salvation, but to care about others as much as they care about themselves. Because that's the name of Christ. Christ didn't come to save himself. He came to save others. And if you're going to gather, that's what you have to gather in. So, what we're talking about today, we're talking about other times where people were in bondage, delivered out of bondage, and had to change And they set up certain structures and they had different words. Like I say, the word charity is not in the Old Testament, but free will offering is. The word tithing doesn't really show up much in the New Testament or in the New Testament writings. But charity shows up all the time. What was tithing? Tithing was your charity, your charitable offer to this network of ministers called out in the wilderness to serve the tents of the congregation a part of a kingdom of God at hand from generation to generation where the power and the purse strings of the kingdom were in the hands of the people. And they self-organized themselves into small groups and tithed to Levites of their choice who provided services to the people. That's what it says here. With that in mind, again, read 18.21 in Numbers Behold, I give, I have given the children of the Levite all the tenth in Israel. They had no inheritance in the land. There was land that Levites lived on, but they didn't have it as an inheritance. They held it in common. Levi, all the tenth in Israel, for an inheritance, for their service, which they serve, Even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So there's lots of services they provided. Now, if you want to know what those services they provided, go back to the original part of this uh, series. You know, the first hour where we talk about if Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare. That was the service of the Levites, the general welfare. But they did not collect that money by force. They did not tax the people. They were not priests of each family. They were the priests of a nation. They were a national priesthood. What you gave them was in the public treasury, but you chose to give them, and you chose to give them indirectly to the minister that you personally knew and watched, and watched how he, the spirit that was in him Was it the spirit of service or was it the spirit of power and control and vanity and pride? That's your choice. That's your responsibility. And if you don't exercise that responsibility by self-organizing yourselves in a national and international group that is operating by the charity and in the way of Christ, you're not really seeking the kingdom very hard. Just being nice. Thieves and robbers are nice amongst themselves. You know, the the mafia, they'll kiss each other on the cheek even. They'll give each other hugs. They have real affection for each other. But they're still mafia. Kingdom's another spirit. And it bathes every corner and every courtyard of your personal temple. Every aspect of your life Your salvation is found in the kingdom and seeking that kingdom. Moses knew this. Moses and Christ were in agreement. Moses set up the Levites, the church in the wilderness, the same way Jesus Christ set up the church that he appointed. They both did the same jobs. They both had the same purpose, to set you free, to be free souls under God, but To be free souls under God, you must take on the responsibility of a kingdom that operates by faith, not force. A kingdom that operates by hope, not compelled allegiance. A kingdom that operates on love. Not love of self, but the love of others and the love of God who is the giver of life. That is what it means to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. To seek that alternative. And you can do that now without rebelling. Without throwing away your ID cards. And all this kind of stuff. And crippling yourself. So that you become a burden on everybody else. You can do that now. By self-organizing yourself. In a system of love and charity. That actually has as its ultimate design. To take care of all the needy of its society. And then even those strangers in their midst. And you will find a tremendous abundance amongst you if you actually repent and think that way instead of the way you've been thinking. Because the modern denominations are not teaching you the way of Christ. They're teaching you the way of Caesar. And they're, they are the pagan temples of today. They claim Christ, but they take His name in vain because they are not actually gathering to set you free. They're actually gathering to make you feel good about your covetous practices. Madison said you had to keep the commandments. And the commandments include, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So you cannot want any of the general welfare of men who extract that and provide for that general welfare by forcing the contributions of the people. You can't want any of that. You can't want any of the public education, you can't want any of the public treasury. You you can't want the Medicare, Medicaid and all that. Now you may need those things right now because you may be old and retired and on Social Security, I don't know. But that's how you got to where you are. You can't even want them to take care of your parents. You need to want to take care of your parents. You need to want to provide for your parents. Now, your parents may not be cooperative in that because they think they're not very forgiving. They think, well, they owe me this, even though there is no money there and it's totally bankrupt. And the only way they get a Social Security check is by putting their grandchildren farther and farther into debt. They don't care. They're not, not as loving as they would like to think. Now, maybe it's ignorance. Maybe they just lack knowledge. Maybe they lack humility to accept that knowledge. But that's where we have to go. You have to recognize that we're lost. You have to recognize that we're sinners in order to repent. Well, what what is our sin? Most of you probably haven't murdered anybody this week. <laughs> Most of you, pro- well, actually, you know, if your government is murdering in your name, then you have. Uh, what was it? Uh, I think Obama spent several... Not several. I mean, like $100 million or more bombing supposedly ISIS training camps in Libya just before he left office. Uh, I can't remember the exact amount of bombs that they dropped, but I mean, there's like hundreds, and then they followed up with smart bombs and everything, which is, I mean, it's multi, 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 millions and millions and millions of dollars. Casualties were 85 guys. <laughs> <laughs> you could have probably hired the mafia to do that much cheaper. <laughs> <And> that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's insane. It's it's really about bankrupting you even more, because debt is, you know, people are. What do we pay off the debt? They don't want you to pay off the debt. It makes you a slave. This is how you curse your children to the same slavery. Debt is slavery. Which is why you should have been keeping the Sabbath all along. You don't have. But you're all counting your moons and days. You're keeping days. You're not keeping the righteousness of God. All all this day counting and, and calendar stuff. It's all a distraction from the fact that you. You have not been walking in the ways of Christ. You want to think that. Oh I've got this little religious pattern here that I've charted out because I've read all this and I count my moons and I count my days and I you know I've got this calendar and that calendar and that's why I don't get into these disputes and these arguments because none of them have anything to do with the message of Christ or Moses. The real message was love thy neighbor as thyself. To immerse yourself in love and forgiveness for one another. Which would mean that you would have to want to know who one another is, you don't want to go to the end of the road and hide out in your little you know your little cabin out there in the wilderness. You want to reach out to people and and become the Basra, the fortress of Christ by linking yourselves together in a network of love and charity. And a love that strengthens. Now I, I'm, I'm going to read here. From uh, one place. I, I saw somebody talking about the Levites. On the internet. And it says. Levites. Members of the same tribe. But who were not descendants of Aaron. Served as aides to the priests. And and as aides. They were representative priests of Aaron. Doing things like helping to prepare The sacrifice. And of course, what's the sacrifice? Was it just burning up sheep? Well, we've already talked about that. This person probably doesn't understand that. But they say they took care of the temple. Making repairs. Well, originally the temple was only a tent. And, you know, I mean, we're talking an entire tribe. One of 12 tribes. How many guys does it take to take care of a tent? Why was land given to the the Levites? All over Israel, every, almost every town and village had land set aside that was for the Levites. Because they lived all these places. They couldn't sell the land. If they did sell the land, any Levite could come back and redeem it. So, nobody's going to be buying that land because, and making improvements on it. Because any Levite could come up and buy it back. And they actually get to say what to redeem it for, but that's another whole section of the Bible. <laughs> but uh, they didn't own the lawful title of the land that they could sell it. It it belonged to the Levites and they held it all in common. That's what they're telling you. They are held, holding the land in common. Of course, that's what, when we see that in the New Testament where they said they held all things in common. They're talking about these ministers of Christ who are doing what Hoses did what Peter and all the apostles had to do according to the instructions of Christ, which they didn't own any property in their own name. They held all things in common so that they could be these new Levites, these new ministers of the kingdom, these new national priesthood of the kingdom. It was, it was taken out of really the hands of Aaron. Maybe not because maybe some of the apostles were actually descendants of Aaron, but The point is, Jesus could do that because he was both priest and king. He wasn't changing the way things should be done. He was changing things back to the way that they should be done, which was putting the power of charity in the hands of the people and the job of administrating that charity in the hands of a national priesthood. That was locally connected to every small little congregation throughout an entire network of ministers who formed one body that was separate from the rest of the tribes and that specifically belonged to God. I just had a conversation with somebody uh, who wanted to refer to the church as sovereign. Christ is sovereign. The church is the servant of Christ. The church is not sovereign, but the church is separate. Is the church 501c3? That was another thing that came up. The church is... Is 501c3 automatically even if it doesn't apply? If it does apply, it puts itself under the judicial authority, the adjudicating authority of the IRS. That's why churches do not have to apply for 501c3 status. They're automatically considered 501c3 whether they apply or not. Well, considered being 501c3 and being under the IRS are two different things. So, all churches are 501c3. And 501c3, for those of you who don't know, is, is referring to the U.S. codes. And it doesn't mean anything to people in Australia. But, actually, the people in Australia have similar rules. And if you organize yourself as Christ said to organize yourself, which I'm telling you is very much along the same lines as the Levites originally organized themselves, you will be the church and you will be separate. You are separate from the state. But right now, most of the state is in the hands of a few elite rulers. Because the people have rejected the responsibilities that Moses gave them, that Abraham exercised, that Christ gave back to the people. You haven't been doing your job. In order to do your job, you need to self-organize yourself. So anyway, these Levites, they took care of the temple, making repairs when needed and served. And it says there's musicians, which are just harmonizers, and singers, which are messengers, and doorkeepers, which are the receivers of contributions up through this network of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. These are all jobs. They're, they're not like Walmart greeters when they say doorkeepers. The, the money changers were doorkeepers, but they were doing it wrong. They would pick new doorkeepers at Pentecost. And they did. And you just need to connect the dots. And you'll see how they were organizing themselves. Service began at the age of 25 for a Levite. So what did he do up to 25? Well, he was learning. He was studying. He was probably getting married, having children. But he was maturing. And by the time he was 25, he could become this Levite minister, this helper of the ordained priesthood. And therefore. Acted as a priest. David later changed that to 20. But it was originally 25. And he retired at 50. But anyway. What were these people doing? What were they actually doing? And we'll have to talk more in the next show. On this. So uh, stay tuned to the series. And join the network. Till then. Peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless.